Y'all ready for this? When the world's greatest athlete, Michael Jordan, teams up with the world's best-loved cartoon character, Bugs Bunny, you won't believe your eyes. Pardon me, Mr. Jordan. Can I have your audit? Uh, your John Hancock? What's going on here? We need your help! You heard of the dream team? Well, we're the mean team. Ready? Yeah! Done. Yeah. You kick it in here. You go to the hole and dominate. We own defense. Oh, yeah. Whoa. I don't play defense. Warner Brothers presents Jordan. Just might save the world. Space Jam. You've never seen anything like it. Hey there, dudes and dudettes, and welcome to Extreme Movie Reviews, where the takes are as extreme as literally any product you could have bought in the 90s. It's totally time to set your Tamagotchis down, pick up your pogs off of the floor, sit back, and relax for a radical time. Space Jam was released in 1996. It is rated PG. It's basically okay for all ages. I'll mention the actors throughout my review, so here's the plot synopsis. An alien amusement park is struggling and needs to find a new attraction to fill the park with happy guests. Settling on enslaving the Looney Tunes, the evil owner of the park sends five of his tiny goons to the Hollow Earth to retrieve the Looney Tunes. Outgunned, Bugs Bunny's wits save the Tunes from immediate slavery by convincing the aliens they need to beat them in a game of basketball. The aliens steal the powers of five of the NBA's biggest stars, and in response, the Looney Tunes kidnap Michael Jordan in a desperate attempt for help. Stuff happens. Space Jam is most definitely a love letter to Michael Jordan, painting him in only the best of light. He was the man in 1996. No one was hotter. He's so hot right now. Michael was drafted into the NBA in 1984 and quickly made the Chicago Bulls a playoff contending team. It wasn't long before he dominated the league, and after a few close calls, the Bulls pulled off the NBA's third ever national championship three-peat one of two three-peats Michael and his Bulls would pull off, winning in 91, 92, and 93. After that season, Michael would be suspended by the league for gambling. I mean, Michael would voluntarily leave the sport for a season and a half, returning in the midway point of the 94-95 NBA season. The team would lose in that season's playoffs. However, the 95-96 season was just the beginning of their second three-peat. Jordan was back, winning his fourth NBA title months before the release of Space Jam. And with plenty of years left in Jordan's tank, Jordan being on top of the world might be an understatement. What I didn't actually mention is that Jordan had been caught gambling in Atlantic City the evening before one of his playoff games during their run to that third championship. This movie was clearly heavily funded in one way or another by the NBA and the cynical side of me thinks this movie was a PR piece for Jordan and the league's image. Possibly even part of an agreement between himself and the NBA as a part of Michael's theoretical terms for an off-the-books reinstatement. 
When you think of the timing of the movie, approximately one and a half years from pre-production to opening day, that would be around the time of Jordan's return to the NBA. I don't hold it against the movie, it's just an observation. If that was all part of the intent, it 100% worked on me. I looked up to Jordan as much as every other kid throughout my entire childhood, and that was definitely in large part because of this movie. If Foghorn Leghorn snuck up on me and put me in a full Nelson, followed by an interrogation while Sylvester and Tweety played good cop, bad cop, I'd initially tell Sylvester that I give it 2.55 stars out of 5 while trying to shake his slobber all off of my face. Then Tweety would twinkle those little bird eyes at me asking, Are you sure? (laughs) Staring up at me, crossing those little bird arms, and with a few purposeful eye blinks from Tweety, I'd say, Okay, okay, I'll give it 3 out of 5 stars. And then Bugs Bunny would come out of the back room and pull out a huge acne mallet, knocking me out cold before I woke up with five stars circling right around my head. Whatever that rating is that I just gave it, it's not a terrible rating. But do I recommend you watch the movie? Eh, some things are best left in the past. If you're itching to watch it because the new movie is coming soon, go right ahead. Just realize that it is a thin veil of a movie for many reasons that I'll get into soon enough. If you own a DVD and have seen the movie before, I think you could actually just watch the commentary track, because a lot of the movie is told visually, if not all of it. They don't talk over everything. The director's commentary was done separately from the voice actor's commentary, and so it is heavily edited, and they took the time to bring up the volume of the movie while no one was speaking. It's not an amazing commentary track, and I'll actually share several of the things that I found interesting from it, but there were a lot of other little gems that... I don't talk about or include, and the voice actors can be pretty entertaining and they were more funny than the movie ever gets. What do you think the ratings look like? For anyone new listening to me for the first time, in this section I'll take a guess at what I think the internet has rated these movies based on both the critics and audiences' scores on Rotten Tomatoes, as well as the IMDb score before revealing the true scores. First will be Rotten Tomatoes scores, which in case you don't know, are basically a thumbs up or a thumbs down. My guess will be what percent I believe gave the movie a thumbs up. Starting out, I will guess the critics' score. What plot there is, is, well, thin. Much of the animation was very good at the time, but newer reviews may not take that into consideration, so I'll give it the old college try. How about 69%? With 76 reviews, the official critic score is only at a 43%. Now I'll guess what the audience thought of the movie. It is well-paced. There's a lot for the general audience to latch onto and say, Oh, I know that character. It is a kid's movie, but there is some humor for adults. However, being an older movie always concerns me, so I'm going to guess in about the middle of the range I expect it to be within. That being... 77%, and with over 250,000 ratings, this movie is officially sitting at 63%, and the audience has an average score of 3.7 out of 5. Clearly, my nostalgia for this movie has clouded my guesses. The last one here is the IMDb score, which is on a 10-point scale and is a measure of how much people liked the movie. I've heard some hate for this movie over the past few years, I myself did not enjoy it a few years ago when I watched it for the first time since my childhood. 
The movie was loved by many when it came out, and my gut says 7.3, but my brain tells me that that's too high, so I'm going to go with my brain on this one. I'll guess a 6.7. The official IMDb score, with 169,000 ratings, is currently sitting at a 6.4. That's not great for IMDb. I'm curious what the age breakdown looks like. And... As I suspected, it looks like the people around my age like it a lot more than the others. In the 45 plus age group, it has a 5.6 rating. With the 18 to 29 year olds, they have it at a 6.8, dropping down to a 6.3 for 30 to 44 year olds. I'm 32, but I was already 8 years old when the movie came out, so those not too much older than me were probably already too old to have an undying love for this movie. Younger audiences also don't love it, and I'm sure that's, in part, the result of Michael Jordan not being a pop icon anymore. Let's give that a quick recap. 43% of the critics and 63% of the audience gave the movie their stamps of approval. And the IMDb score is currently sitting at a 6.4 out of 10. Do you think the fans and the critics gave it some props reviews or what? I believe I will end up praising this movie plenty, so I'm going to stick to the negative reviews for this movie, starting off with the critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. I have no clue how they do this. Is it a person? Or is it an algorithm? Possibly a combination of the two. I have no idea, but on Rotten Tomatoes, they have some method of combining all of the critics' reviews into one tight review, and it's always really well done and pretty darn on the spot. For this movie, it says, While it's no slam dunk, Space Jam's silly, Looney Tunes-laden slapstick and vivid animation will leave younger viewers satisfied, though accompanied adults may be more annoyed than entertained. I can't argue with that. Alright, there are quite a few of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that go along the lines of it's a full-length commercial for dot dot dot. And depending on which specific review, you'll see one or several of the following three things. One, peddling products due to the numerous product placements in the movie. Two, a vehicle for peddling merchandise slash toys to children. And if you pay close attention, the third item on the list, peddling sainthood-like status for Michael Jordan. That item is only found in newer reviews. If you go back to the earliest reviews, meaning reviews from when the movie was actually released, that's not in there. I went back and looked at that specifically because it wasn't until sometime after Jordan's basketball career that the populace and media began to turn on him and stop treating him like some sort of can never do anything wrong type of do-gooder. That's all very true, and I fucking loved my Looney Tunes and Space Jam merch, so suck it. Let's get a neutral critical review in, though, from Kevin Jackson of Independent on Sunday. Space Jam is so obviously a work of the marketing-slash-demographic-hunting mentality that it's rather surprising to find that the brazen creature gathers a certain charm as it rolls along. And now for the audience's negative reviews. From 80s Man D, who gave it a half star and said, Michael Jordan is good, but no good jokes. I didn't find there to be many gutbusters in the movie. That's for sure. 
a lot of the half star and one star reviews aren't actually that terrible, just like that last review I read. And you've got some that I have no clue what they're talking about, like Cyrus C, who gave it two and a half stars and said, I do not remember this, but from what a lot of people say, something needs to be done. Was there some sort of cancellation on this movie that I was not aware of? With the magic of Google, apparently there was an uproar. A stink, you could even say. About Pepe Le Pew. And after reading what that stink was, I actually had to remove a joke from my script that you otherwise would have already heard about being gassed by Pepe Le Pew. It had nothing to do with the, what that controversy is, but it could have really been received poorly by those who know what that controversy is. I'm going to find a decent review regardless of the actual score because the real low ones are just all the same darn thing. So with three stars, Helter P said... Helter? What kind of... Alright, Helter P said... For those who watched the Looney Tunes from before... You may even like the plot that focuses on something similar and more infantile enough to entertain only the youngest and a story full of charisma with very charismatic classic characters without even needing Michael Jordan be the highlight of the scenes because that wouldn't even be necessary. I hope you could understand that one. There was no punctuation, hardly. Hey dude, sorry, it's me again. I was just wondering, could you tell me more about the movie? The beginning starts out with a shot coming from the sky and the famous R. Kelly song, Piss On You. Shouts out to the Chappelle Show. The moon almost looks cartoonish, and I wonder if they used a matte painting to help blend the two worlds in this movie from the start. It's 1973, and a young Michael Jordan is outside shooting hoops after midnight. All right. Just one. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Shoot it again. Getting pretty good, son. Go ahead, shoot till you miss. You think if I get good enough, I can go to college? Hey. You get good enough, you can do anything you want to, Michael. I want to play in North Carolina. Now, that's a real fine school. Real fine school. You can get a first-class education there. I want to play on a championship team. Then I want to play in the NBA. All right, that's a, slow down, son. Don't you think you ought to get a little sleep first? And once I've done all that, uh -huh. I want to play baseball, just like you, Dad. Baseball? Yeah, that's a sport. There is a really nice transition from this moment to a title sequence where we see some of Michael's highlights. It's impossible not to get pumped up with a start like this. I have to imagine kids literally got out of their seats at the theaters and danced. I did, and I'm not talking about when I was eight years old. This movie picks up after the 93 baseball Ooh, typo. 
the 93 basketball season, with Michael's press conference announcing his retirement from the NBA and his plans to pursue a career in baseball. I don't know. As a kid, I was a pitcher. I think that'd be kind of hard for me to pitch, so I think I'm going to play the outfield. With a really fun and adventurous score, the camera pulls up and out of the press conference. Zooming past the moon, and we are introduced to a CGI space world, landing at the amusement park Moron Mountain. Moron Mountain is struggling to bring in the customers... They need new attractions. Right? New ones. Uh-huh. Get it? Big shiny new things. Yeah. Absolutely, sir. They, being more on Mountain's owner and five of his pint-sized goons, they determine that they need something... something... something loony. Yes! Loony! Yes. Loony! Loony, that's it! That's the word I was looking for! Looney! Get the Looney Tunes! Bring them in! Sir, just noticing, sir, they're from Earth. If you haven't figured it out, these are our villains, and so we have a plot point, or at least a reason for the events of the movie. We zoom back to Earth. Michael Jordan is no good at baseball. The catcher is feeding him the pitches, and he still can't hit the ball. In reality, Jordan wasn't horrible, but he definitely wasn't up to Major League standards during his short stint in baseball. During this baseball game, we are introduced to Newman. Hello, Newman. Oh, my apologies. Polak? That sounds a bit racist, doesn't it? I want you to make sure that nobody bothers Michael. I want him to be the happiest player in the world. The happiest? You look good when you strike out, man. When I strike out, man, it looks nasty, man. At least you look good, man. Good looking. Hi! Mr. John! Mr. John! I'm still... That was a nasty fall. Oh, I'm a Stan Podolak. Mr. Jordan, I'm, I'm the Baron's new publicist. <laughs> I'm here to make your life easier. Oh, you want me to drive you somewhere? Stan Podolak. The babysit your kids, I will do it. I am here to personally guarantee that no one will ever bother you. What you heard at the end was five goons from Moron Mountain flying by in their spaceship. Everyone in the stands basically shrugs it off as nothing. They crash through the pavement of a Piggly Wiggly's parking lot and enter the Warner Brothers space-time continuum bearer to the center of the Earth. is where cartoons live, where they are filmed. We head back to Earth, above the crust. We get introduced to Jordan's family and the family dog, Charles. 
Jordan is a family man. His son had a rough day at his baseball game and is rather upset about it. It's another career day for Michael Jordan at Barron's Field this afternoon. Rome is burning. This baseball what are you guys watching? Just not working. Today he went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. This is the only thing on TV? That brings his batting average down to an anemic 214, which also happens to be his playing weight. Baseball bat. Get this guy a tennis racket. Did everyone get mad at you? This gives Jordan's son something to relate to. And that's as far as that story thread goes. Michael changes the channel to Looney Tunes, and shortly later, Porky the Pig runs into the Roadrunner scene, informing the two of an emergency cartoon character union meeting. So, what's the big emergency? Uh, these little guys would like to make an announcement. Here you go, Shorty. Alright. <coughs> you, all of you, are now our prisoners. The goons get laughed off stage, but their advanced weaponry is threatening enough to catch everyone's attention. Bugs Bunny, being the wise trickster he is, quickly rewrites a How do you draw cartoon characters? book into a rule book titled How to Capture Cartoon Characters. And by the rules, you must quote unquote give them a chance to defend themselves. Give them a chance to defend themselves. The tunes gather in order to determine what the contest will be to determine if they are or are not prisoners. Given the difference in height, they land on a game of basketball. The goons have no clue what basketball is, so in order to get everyone on the same page, there is a showing of a 1950s-style informational video which informs the goon squad of the NBA, where the best players in the world play. The best players in the world. The best! The goons get tickets to a game at Madison Square Garden, where we are introduced to their ability to possess and steal the athletic abilities of human beings. This scene is both silly and fun as we observe as players become uncoordinated wrecks, nearly unable to walk, much less catch a basketball anymore. They made one mistake. In a shocking development, five NBA players have been placed on the disabled list. They didn't take Michael Jordan's powers. Okay, okay. Now, which of you maroons has ever played basketball before? The Looney Tunes aren't exactly pros themselves. Too bad you can't practice getting taller, boys. <laughs> they witness as the little goons become big goons. <laughs> Time to play a little basketball. For some reason, we are introduced to Bill Murray as he gets in a round of 18 with Jordan and Larry Bird. Jordan ends up getting pulled through the hole down to Toonville. Mike? Michael? It, it's Stan. It's Stan Podolak. Uh, look, I, I, I need you to come out now, okay? 
because uh, you, you got a baseball game tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I look pretty stupid if you don't show up. You think Michael's all right? Boy, I hate to leave him like this. Oh, I'm sure he's fine. I think he just had to get away from that Stan character. God, he's pathetic, isn't he? Yeah. Larry, I'm going to give us both twos back there. We weren't in any kind of emotional state to putt. I think that's fair. Michael Jordan is the Toon Squad's newest member. After that, they have a scene with Charles Barkley feeling down and out as he joins in on a street game of basketball to help lift his spirits. It doesn't go so well. Then we see the other four stars as they are being looked at at the hospital. This is all done in sort of a montage format with this ridiculous song playing throughout. Are there any other areas besides basketball where you find yourself unable to perform? Stan is still at the golf course. He is now trying to dig down deep into the earth in order to find Jordan. The Looney Tunes practice is a mess. Has anyone here ever played basketball? Um, I have. I'd like to try out for the team. Hey. Hi, my name is Lola Bunny. Bugs is immediately in love with her. I know there's a controversy out there about the creators making her too sexy and so the new Space Jam changed up some things. I don't care to get into that because regardless of people want to think about her appearance, her character isn't down with that. Lola does not rely on her physical appearance. Instead, she scorns Bugs for objectifying her. girl's got some skills. The team has two good players now. One issue, though. Jordan needs his basketball gear. Bugs and Daffy are tasked with retrieving that. First, Daffy meets Charles, Jordan's dog, and becomes a new chew toy. Second, they meet Jordan's kids. Bugs fills them in on what their dad is up to and instructs them not to tell anyone. Which goes nowhere. The basketball players have turned to a fortune teller for help, and she correctly explains everything that is happening, but they write her off as crazy. There is some follow-up in the technical ratings on an issue of consistency regarding humans' knowledge of cartoon worlds existing. This is it! This is it! I don't know where you are, Michael, but wherever you are, you obviously enjoyed being there more than spending time with me. After digging out several tons of dirt, Stan is at his wit's end when... You better hope this Jordan Daffy and Bugs walk past him. Stan follows them to Toon World. The commissioner of the NBA holds a press conference stating he has decided to halt the NBA season as one of the stadiums appears to be getting quarantined in the background. It's the night of the big game, and the tunes are getting ready to pump the jam. Just get out of my way. 
the Toon Squad's starting lineup goes as follows. At the shooting guard is the Tasmanian Devil. Lola Bunny is the small forward. Daffy Duck is the power forward. At point guard is Bugs Bunny. And at center, I guess, is Michael Jordan. The game is starting at approximately 53 minutes into the movie, which leaves around a half hour for the rest of the movie. Apparently rules are out of the window as the monsters treat the game like a football match, tackling and shoving people. Starting lineups. Positions. They also don't matter as we see many of the other Looney Tunes characters playing while the monsters take an early lead. There are a couple of light giggles as the game progresses and the Looney Tunes often have little moments showing off their personalities from the cartoons. A quick one that's easy to miss that I really enjoyed is Yosemite Sam running down the court holding a gun to one of the monsters. At halftime, the score is approximately 60 to 18. Or if we go by what the movie literally says, it's kinda one-sided, isn't it? Plus two more points that isn't included in that tally, 218. Newman spies on the monsters and finds out that they are responsible for stealing the NBA player's abilities prior to his cover being blown. Michael Jordan is giving the team an uplifting halftime speech while Daffy essentially mocks it, which I found humorous. But then Newman comes limping in to inform them of his findings. Meanwhile, Bugs is up to his tricky ways as he takes a regular water bottle and labels it Michael's secret stuff. His snake oil gives the team renewed confidence as they give the kids a wonderful message. You know, this goes against everything they taught me in health class. Do you want to win or not? Bottoms up. <laughs> Yummy. Roid up, kids. Cheating is how you get ahead. The Toon Squad begins to work together and take advantage of their Looney Tune ways. Cars, bombs, fishing poles, guns, tying shoes together. The antics are on. Don't call it a comeback. Hold up. There is a transition at the one hour and one minute mark that is possibly the worst in cinematic history. We catch a glimpse of the score after some more antics, and it is now 68 to 66. They've gotten within one basket of a tie. The owner of Moron Mountain calls a timeout and decides he wants Michael Jordan as his next exhibit, not the tunes. What about we raise the stakes a little bit? Hmm. Interesting. If we win, you get the NBA players to talent back. But what if we win? If you win, you get me. Jordan just can't quit his gambling ways. In a really cool-looking artistic style that's different from the rest of the movie, the terms of the deal are dictated. You'll be our star attraction. You'll sign autographs all day long and play one-on-one with the main customers. And you'll always lose. 
The monsters come out of the timeout and literally crush the competition. Bugs saves Lola from being crushed and earns himself a little smooch. Oh, Bugs. Thank you. Aw, it was nothing. That was the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. (laughs) Jordan calls his own timeout. The team is banged up and needs a fifth player. Stan. Stan. Unit center. Stan finally gets his opportunity to prove himself to Jordan, only to quickly get flattened and ousted from the game. Down to four, they need another player again. Bill Murray, one of the few things that gets set up in this movie. And it... well, it's something that happens. Why does it happen? Why is Bill in this movie, you ask? Excuse me. Uh, yo, yo, easy on the trousers, Dave. Easy, man. Pardon me. Uh, Mr. Murray, uh, something's really been bugging me. Yeah? Just how did you get here, anyway? Producer's a friend of mine. Just had a teamster come and drop me off. You know? There are ten seconds on the clock. The Toon Squad is down by one point, and they're on defense. So it's going to be a tough one. But I should inform you, just moments before Bill Murray showed up, We got another quick setup, which was that humans are allowed to take advantage of the Toon World physics, the shenanigans. Daffy forces a turnover on the inbound pass, and over the next 1 minute and 10 seconds, the final 10 seconds of the game clock come to an expiration as Jordan dunks the ball from half court. Getting tackled halfway to the basket, while still in the air, he uses cartoon world physics and is able to extend his arm the rest of the way. It looks as silly as it sounds. The final score is 78-77. to Toon Squad wins. Wait, that can't be right. Stay tuned for more in my interesting facts portion to find out why. In summation of the movie, a few things happen. The Moron Squad finally stand up to their boss and send him packing before returning the basketball player's abilities, and the Looney Tunes allow the Moron Five to stay in Toonville. In an oddly emotional scene... Not really, but Kid Me was on board with the emotion, and that's probably thanks to Seal's song, I Believe I Can Fly. Michael returns to the baseball field... Then we hop to the basketball players all having a group therapy meeting with each other when Mike and Stan come in with their abilities. They reluctantly touch Michael's ball. Come on, Charles. Touch it. Rest you guys. Just touch it. What's your favorite scene, dude? I've always been a big fan of the mini morons. The second half of the basketball game is classic Looney Tune madness. And the baseball scene with Michael Jordan receiving the pitches from the catcher is all pretty fun. Especially when you consider something I'll have in my interesting facts portion. Hmm. So many choices, and yet so few. I also always enjoyed the halftime of the basketball game as a kid. Oh, I've got it. My favorite scene spans over a couple of scenes technically, but when the basketball players lose all their abilities, it is so over the top with how uncoordinated they get and the one guy not even being able to walk down the court on the TV still makes me laugh. So, I'm going to go with that little segment early on. That was totally dope. What do you say that we get down in technical? If you know what I mean. In this section, I will be going over five technical aspects of filmmaking, along with two other factors that I decided to add in, 
And then I take the average of all these scores out of 10, and I come up with my official podcast score for the movie. I'm going to start today off with the enjoyability factor. There's a lot of filler in this movie. Just one example of that would be almost everything involving the NBA players that lost their abilities. Another issue is that some scenes tend to go on for too long. Here's director Joe Pitka talking about the finale of the movie. The most important thing is to keep the energy level and the interest into the story uh, in the game and the interaction of the characters. Uh, it was the biggest issue from the very beginnings of the script, making the game interesting and compelling enough because it's be, it would be compared to all these other sports films that have ever been done. And I thought uh, everybody did a great job in that area. I do find that the game has weight to it. It matters. The stakes are even increased mid-game, probably as much to remind the target audience of the stakes as anything. And the success of making roughly 20 minutes of a basketball game interesting lies on the shoulders of every aspect of filmmaking in a movie like this. They all worked in unison to really give the kids something exciting. I loved the movie as a kid, I'd probably have given this a solid 9 back in the day. Today, I'd probably give it a 5. Being a Looney Tunes kid, I can still get on board with the wacky antics. But, if you're not familiar with the Looney Tunes, or you don't like them, this movie is probably a 2. Which leads me to give the movie a 5.33 out of 10 for how enjoyable it is. Now we'll talk about the sound design. The sound effects are straight from the Warner Brothers vault. Top notch stuff. The soundtrack is definitely a product of the 90s, but it was great. It was a hit. It's still great now, besides really one song. One artist. Screw that guy. The songs evoke proper emotions, enhancing the viewer's experience, even being the only source of emotion once or twice in the movie. The score is also really, really good. I tried to feature that as much as I could without dragging down the pace of my walkthrough, I was not able to do it justice, though. The sound mixing is great. Everyone's voices are super clear. Aside from about two issues, the sound design in this movie is darn near perfect. Nine out of ten. Now let's talk about the writing. I pointed out the reaction of the basketball players to the fortune teller in the walkthrough. It creates a very inconsistent universe. Up until this point, no one, except for Patricia Heaton at the basketball game, has really been too baffled by the existence of the Toon World. People have seen a cartoon spaceship fly over a baseball game, and later landing at one. Jordan hardly questions anything when arriving in Toonland. His kids don't question anything. Stan shows zero signs of shock, and there are several other examples I didn't include. The writing is very poor, and there is a good reason why. Which will be touched on a little bit in the interesting facts portion. And that lack of structure is very much felt in the movie. The written jokes. You can tell what was ad-libbed or not. They're okay overall. A silly thing here and there, some that fall flat on their face, and one or two that are actually funny. I'd break it down like this. The jokes, or the even funny situations, for the adults are written the best. The ones for the kids are where it lacks. But the Looney Tunes stuff, which is largely the ad-libbed stuff, is good. There are aspects of the movie, like the relationship between Jordan and his family, that should have been explored. What they did well was tie everything together without losing too much in the pacing of the movie. They obviously stretched a short script to get this movie to feature length, and I thought that the plot did at least make enough sense. 
in this weird world. And I don't think that that was an easy task. I'm making some assumptions here, but I think my assumptions were both positive and negative. I'm going to give the writing a 2.75 out of 10. Now let's talk about the acting. The voice acting is brilliant overall. I'll have a couple of their names later on, but Danny DeVito deserves a shout out. It may be his voice, but it works well and he gave it his all. Interesting little tidbit from the commentary track. While doing the green screen work, they did put people actors in green outfits in order to help give Michael a more comfortable experience. That's not always done, but it probably should be. Michael himself did a good job, especially for someone who isn't an actor, and especially when you consider the type of movie he had to act in. Regardless of having the people in green suits, I'm sure it's still tougher than filming with the actual people that are in the scene with you. The other NBA players in this movie... Not so great. But they are sparsely used throughout the movie. I'm going to give the acting a 7 out of 10. The voice work is phenomenal. And now let's talk about the production design. I saw no issues with the real world stuff, despite how small Michael Jordan's house is. And in an animated film, the production team is usually dedicated to the vision of the world in the movie. Aside from the writing issues of the Looney Tune world coexisting on Earth, I enjoyed the Looney Tunes world that exists off-screen. Production design and cinematography are very closely linked for this movie, so more about some of the world will be covered within my analysis on the cinematography. I'll give the production design work a 6 out of 10. Once again, further exploration of this universe would have been fun, but I like the vision. Let's talk about the cinematography. Start off with the good. The 2D animation is very good. The colors of Moron Mountain and its characters are very vivid, and that helps to separate themselves from the Toon world. I brought up one of the scenes during the walkthrough where the animation was very unique, but really there are all sorts of different animation styles throughout the entire film. There's a lot of movement throughout the movie, and when the Toons are at the Jordan's house, the cinematography is actually able to add to the movie. Something I noticed on my first watch was the use of the Dutch angle, which I can typically be very critical of, but I liked that choice for a couple of reasons. Primarily, something should feel off in that scene, and if you don't make the camera angle an uneasy one, the only thing that's going to make you feel strange is the fact that cartoons and humans are talking in the real world. Funnily enough, about 20 minutes after I had made that note, the director actually spoke specifically about the camera work in that scene. It's a bit lengthy though, so take my word that him and I are on the same page. It's no cinematic masterpiece, but for this movie it is. There's a lot of attention to detail, most things look top-notch, there's a lot going on in most of the shots, and they really blended the 2D and CG work well together. There's a lot of times both are used in the same screen, like the entire basketball game, for instance. But let's move on to the bad. When Stan gets flattened, cartoon style, and then they pump air into him, it looks really bad. So does Michael Jordan's extended arm, although I don't know that that could ever look good. That's part of why live-action movies with the Fantastic Four are so tough to make look good. In case you're not aware, one of the Fantastic Four members can stretch, and that's going to look silly no matter how good the graphics are. 
When the dog enters the movie alongside the Looney Tunes, the size scale is really whack, so it looks really weird to the eye. On top of that, the teeth of the dog are animated, so they're actually floating. One more bad example is the CGI work. Not all of it, but most notably the work on Moron Mountain. It is really bad. This is three years after Jurassic Park. Movies like Casper and Batman Forever are just a couple of examples of movies that did a much better job with CG work around the same time. And now for the in-between. The integration of live-action Michael Jordan into a 2D animated cartoon world is not very good. The green screening is very obvious. The Toons integration into the real world is much smoother. It's on par with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. All in all, part of me wants to give the cinematography a really high grade, but I think I've cut the movie enough slack and the bad things are pretty bad and worse, unnecessary. So I'll give it a 4.8 out of 10 with an honorary mention to the animators of this movie. In comparison to other movies of the same genre, children's movies, this is a tough one. We know that I loved it, but... I'm going to completely ignore the past and just base this on the modern world. I think kids aged 4 to maybe 10 could still enjoy the movie, but I'm sure there are a hundred other movies they'd enjoy just as much. If your kid likes the Looney Tunes, give it a go. Otherwise, boy, this one hurts my soul. I'm going to give it a 3.75 out of 10 in comparison to all children's movies. Let's tally up the scores, each out of 10. Enjoyment Factor, 5.33. Sound Design, 9. Writing, 2.75. Acting, 7. Production Design, 6. Cinematography, 4.8. In comparison to all children's movies, 3.75. The average comes to 5.518, so the official podcast score for Space Jam is a 5.52 out of 10, with an honorary mention to both the animators, and the voice actors. That's lower than I expected I would give it, but when taking into consideration how much of a movie of the time it is, I think that's a fair score and I'm comfortable with it. It's time for some totally tubular facts! The final score of the game is incorrect. Jordan left from beyond the three-point line and he never touched the ground. They were behind by only one point, so they should have won by two. The rest of my interesting facts are coming from the commentary track via Bugs Bunny, a.k.a. voice actor Billy West, director Joe Pitka, and also voice actor D. Bradley Baker, a.k.a. Daffy Duck. The two voice actors cover five different characters from the movie between the both of them. The guys all mention that they were under the gun for the entire movie. One and a half years is a very tight timeline for something that must have had so much post-production work to do with it. And even things like the script and storyboards were being worked on while they were already in production of the actual movie. Originally, Bill Murray was only going to be appearing in the golf scene. Here's Joe Pitka about that. And in shooting the golf scene, he, he seemed to have such a good time with Michael and Larry Bird that uh, we started chatting. Uh, all of us, Ivan and uh, Murray and I think Magic and uh, Danny were there. And... Uh, he started chatting about the digital stuff, and he is a very spontaneous performer. And the uh, digital stuff has always intimidated performers because you're you're acting to a green stick, or you're acting to somebody you, you don't see, or you're looking off into to an X on a wall. But when he saw how we were doing the uh, technical stuff, 
and the fact that he would act with other actors instead of sticks and stones and things like that. He and Ivan worked out a scene for the end of the film that uh, brought a huge uh, burst of energy to the end of the film. And the only reason he did it was that it was going to be just another day or two and he could act like Bill Murray instead of uh, having to do things over and over and over and over for some technocrat. I gave them credit for the Bill Murray setup and uh, payoff, but apparently that wasn't even in the plans. The voice actor of Homer Simpson is in the movie early on at the basketball game. He's the guy sitting next to Patricia Heaton, who you may recognize as the wife of Ray in Everybody Loves Raymond. Warner Brothers built an entire basketball stadium for this movie, and from what I could tell from the guys on the commentary track, it was only so Michael Jordan had a place to go and practice between times that he was needed on set. I'm of the belief it was not used for any scenes in the movie. Frank Welker did the voice work for the dog. That's a name that you should be familiar with by now if you listen to me regularly. The two voice actors really praised his voice work, and more fun fact, 95% of the time that a dog is in a movie, it's probably Frank Welker doing the voice work of the dog. Because they can't get a real dog to do those things. Birds, monkeys, monsters. But you met that dog. Yeah, I did. He was a really sweet dog, actually. I think there were two of them. And uh, there's an actually, when you look at him with all the growling and the, the eyebrows and everything, it's a... Uh, um, that's all digitally added. It's 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 a really a very sweet dog. You, I, I don't think they could get him to move hardly at all. Actually, I'll let Joe explain this one. The scene where Michael is playing baseball. First time we see him, uh, the catcher is giving him the pitches, and that came out of a story that Michael uh, told me. Uh, in the original script, Michael um, strikes out and just goes to the bench to meet the uh, Stan Podolak. Uh, character. I felt that you had to have something there ahead of time just to give him a little more screen time as an athlete. So I kind of uh, sketched together a scene where the umpire is uh, calling every pitch a ball, even if it was in the middle of the plate. I presented it to Ivan, and Ivan said, gee, that's unbelievable. I don't think that would ever happen. And it happened that it was the day Michael was there, and we discussed it. Michael says, oh, worse things than that happened. He says, I autographed a basketball for a catcher once, and the catcher gave me all the signs. I said, what happened? He says, I still struck out. So he had a great sense of humor about himself, and we actually wrote the scene and put it into the film. I'd let Joe explain this last one, too, but here's the gist of it. There was a very successful Nike commercial, or there's a series of commercials with Jordan and Bugs Bunny in it, and I think a couple other Looney Tunes. That's what helped to inspire the idea of this movie. Joe was the director of said commercial, and Jordan wanted Joe to direct this movie, too. Okay, so, what did we learn today? Jordan had a gambling addiction, which may have caused his suspension from the NBA. Somebody at Warner Brothers saw a Nike commercial, which inspired an entire idea for a movie. Warner Brothers was in talks with the NBA, looking for people to sign on to this movie. The next few events may have happened in any order. A PR person from the NBA may have been like, Hey, this would be a wonderful way to help repair Jordan and the NBA's image. Then an executive from Warner Brothers and the NBA may have had dinner together, and Warner Brothers may have been floored to find out that Jordan could be involved in the movie. Someone in the NBA may have approached Jordan and said, As part of your reinstatement to the NBA, we need you to be in a film with the Warner Brothers team next summer. Jordan may have agreed to these alleged events, and someone at the NBA may have had a second dinner with someone from Warner Brothers and said, Okay, we're on board to take part in your movie, but you must paint Michael Jordan in as good of a light as possible. Someone from Warner Brothers may have went back to their boss with a list of demands from the NBA and from Jordan, 
build a basketball court, hire Joe as the director, and in return, you get Jordan, and he will bring along many of his popular NBA star friends, too. Then the producer may have been having dinner with Bill Murray and told him all of this, and Bill was like, I'm friends with Larry Bird. I bet I could convince him to a day out the golf course to be in the movie with me. Can I be in the movie? Money exchanged people's hands here and there, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. We got ourselves a Space Jam. That's all, folks. Excuse me, that is my line. You are all, each and every one of you, despicable.